Praise God. Father, we praise you. We thank you. We worship you in this place here today. And Lord, as we set this time aside for the, the uh, reading and the proclamation of the scriptures, we thank you again, Father, that your word is living. It's powerful. It is sharper than a two-edged sword. And we thank you, Lord God, the truth is changing our very lives. We thank you, Lord, that faith is going to a new level. We thank you, Father, that we are stronger uh, and getting stronger. Uh, Lord, as the preaching of the word takes place, and Lord, we just choose to have eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to receive. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. All right. Uh, this morning, we're going to get into a new series of messages entitled Faith for Financial Prosperity. Faith for Financial Prosperity. We've had a, a series of faith just a few weeks ago. Uh, in a general sort of a sense, I want to focus on faith for financial prosperity. And right at the outset, let me say that we know that financial prosperity is not the only prosperity there is. There is uh, spiritual prosperity. There is mental prosperity. There is there is. Um, emotional prosperity, there's social prosperity, uh, there's all kinds of different aspects of prosperity, but we'll be focusing on financial prosperity. Uh, so with that, I want to read from John's Gospel, chapter 10, verse 10, it says, the thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. If you were to read this passage of Scripture out of the uh, a Bible, rather than off of the page on the notes there, and if you would have a what we call a red letter edition, which is all the words of Christ printed in red, you'll find that these words are printed in red. This is Jesus speaking, um, and this is really quite a key scripture. And by the way, I'm just going to keep things real simple today. Sometimes people get it very complicated when it becomes, uh, uh, you know, when we talk about financial prosperity, but we keep it real simple. Um, and it uh, means if it's simple, I can, I can get it, all right? If it gets complicated, like, like what, what was that all about? So Jesus speaking, he says, the thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. The thief is reference to the devil. Uh, here is the devil's job description. Um, that It's a self-imposed job description. Nobody told him to do that. He's decided that that's what he wants to do. Killing, stealing, and destroying. Um, he says, Satan has come, the thief has come uh, uh, to do nothing else except to kill, steal, and destroy. The devil can't create. The devil can't make anything. He can only ruin things. Um, and that's the bad news. But then Jesus shares with us the good news. He says, but I have come. He says, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. And just for good measure, he goes on to say, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Uh, of course, we are the sheep. Jesus is the shepherd. In fact, the Bible tells us that Jesus is the chief shepherd of our souls. Um, and, uh, and so uh, using that terminology of uh, flock, sheep, shepherd, and so forth. And uh, Jesus tells us right there, um, the purpose why he's come to the earth. He says, number one, that you may have life, that we may have life. Now, if we drill down into the original text there, we will find that the Greek word for life is the word zoe, uh, and the zoe speaks of a kind of life as God has it. 
all right? Not the kind of life that an, an animal might have or a worm might have, but there is some level of life in a worm. How, how many of you know what we're talking about? But this is the God kind of life that they're speaking about. It speaks of life absolute, life to the fullest. Uh, and God wants us to have life to the fullest. And then he goes on to say, he says, and that you may have it more abundantly. Have it more abundantly. I've seen something uh, when I was studying for this that I've never seen before. Um, and I was having a good look at this scripture. And how you know it just pays to just have a good look at things. And you know, the Bible speaks of meditation in the word and, and going over it again and going over it again. And suddenly, suddenly, everybody says suddenly. <laughs> Suddenly I noticed something. You know, I'm reading out of the New King James Version, and there's a feature in the New King James Version and in the King James Version uh, where I read along, and there is text, uh, and as soon as I get to a word that's printed in italics, text, so meaning that it's got a slight forward-leaning slant on it, uh, the word it has got an italics uh, print on it. And you know, according to the translator's explanation, it tells us that that word it is actually not in the Bible. It's not in the original text. The translators have put it in there for greater clarity of what they thought is greater clarity. And I'm sure that in most situations they get it right, but I'm suggesting that perhaps in this instance they might have got it not quite right. Uh, what are we talking about? Well, uh, by further study, I come across a, a, a Bible commentary, uh, Marvin Vincent, word study of the New Testament. And Marvin Vincent tells us that literally, if we go back to John chapter, uh, chapter 10, verse 10, in the original text, that literally, when, when it talks about abundant life, it literally means that you may have abundance. That you may have abundance. And uh, in the NASB translation, NASB is New American Standard Bible. I don't want to bore you with too many details, but this is important. In the New American Standard Bible, in my Bible, there's a little marginal note there. There's a little letter there, and I click on this little letter, and it takes me to a marginal note, and it tells me exactly the same thing, that Jesus told us that he's come that we might have life and that we might have abundance. Now, think about this, As I, because I wasn't finished, like I'm sort of wanting to make sure that we're on solid scriptural ground, that we don't get off into the ditch on the left and on, or on the right. And I was thinking, when Jesus says that we might have life, that's always, always life. You can't, you can't get it more abundant than that. It can't, be, it can't get more abundant than Zoe. That's already the abundant life. You know, sometimes Bible translators are playing it a bit safe. <laughs> and tragically, many of them, including commentators of the Bible, you've got the translators, you've got the commentators, all very important people. I mean, praise God for the translations of, of the Bible into the English language and into languages around the world. And praise God for commentators that have put in multiplied hours of study and so forth. And it's just all, all awesome stuff. But a lot of them played it a bit safe. And uh, many of them, many of them had a poverty mentality rather than a prosperity mentality. So when they looked at that, I thought, Jesus come that we might have life and abundance. 
Oh, let's, let's talk about the abundant life. Because if we talk about abundance and prosperity, then you know that's out there. And you know sometimes when people read, read their Bible with their own interpretation on it, with their own limitation on it, then we, we can't really move forward. We need to just read the Word with, a, with, a, with being a neutral. You know, just got to get into neutral when you read the Bible, rather than put your religious glasses on and, and predetermine everything as to what this is about to tell us. How many know what we're talking about? So Jesus tells us that he's come, that we might have life abundant, Zoe life, and that we might have abundance. Jesus never intended to give us eternal life and leave us poor, sick and defeated. He paid the price for our complete redemption. Of course we don't we don't set a doctrine on anything based on one verse of scripture. Alright? The Bible says in the mouth of two or three witnesses let every word be established. We don't have a doctrine until we have at least two or three verses of Scripture that tell us the same thing. And when we do, we got a doctrine. All right? We got a teaching. We got solid ground. Uh, and so I want to look at some of these Scriptures here this morning. When I say some, there is no way that we would even have sufficient time to look at all of them. It would take us longer than, than quarter to three this afternoon. And uh, so we'll just take it a, a bite at a time, if you like. All right, so here in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, it says that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Now, there's a lot in there. And just to break, break things down a little bit, and people say, Gentiles, who are they? Well, most of us are Gentiles. Uh, if you're not Jewish, uh, in terms of your ethnicity, you're a Gentile, meaning non-Jewish. Um, and uh, so the Bible tells us here that Jesus died on the cross. And not only that, but he became a curse by taking the curse that was meant to be for us, by taking it on himself so that the blessing of Abraham might come upon us. What's the blessing of Abraham? Well, go right back to Genesis chapter 12, and you'll find that God spoke to him and says, Abraham, says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to multiply you. I'm going to make your name great. And not only that, but you will not only be blessed, but you'll be a blessing to generations to multiply to uh, nations of people. And, uh, and suddenly we watch Abraham's life. And like suddenly... The guy's like a magnet. He's beginning to attract wealth. Money comes to him. Wealth comes to him. The Bible says that Abraham was very rich with silver and with gold and with livestock. And the guy is going on and he can't do anything wrong. I mean, he's just getting, a, you know, they're talking about a fat cat. I'm like, Abraham is just becoming wealthier and wealthier. Why? Because he interpreted what God spoke to him in the right sort of a way. That, uh, yes, I'm going to be blessed spiritually, absolutely. Yes, I'm going to be blessed emotionally. But, yes, I'm going to be blessed mentally, and I'm going to be blessed in every way. But I will also be blessed financially. Take the average Jew, and you tell him that the blessing of God is only spiritual. He will absolutely laugh at you. He, he will just... 
he will think that'll be the biggest joke that you've ever told. Why is it that the devil has managed to sell the church the lie that the blessing is only spiritual and not all of these other areas, including financial? I tell you, I've said this before. Religion has done a great job in hoodwinking large sectors of the church and keeping them poor. And religion is right there and the devil is right behind it. The devil loves religion to keep people down, to put misinterpretations on scripture, to just limit uh, God's people, to limit the church. The devil knows if he can keep the money out of the church, he can keep the church down. If he can keep the church poor, he can keep the church ineffective. If he can believe, keep believers uh, from being able to pay their bills, then say, well, you become a Christian, and, and what's so attractive about that? Uh, I'm struggling to pay my bills. You're struggling to pay your bills. Why should I become a Christian? Now, of course, we know that becoming a Christian is more than about paying bills. It's about going to heaven. It's a, but it, but it's, 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 it doesn't limit it to that. It's talking about a whole abundant life. And so if Jesus is not already in your life, let me tell you, he's knocking on your door. He wants to come in to forgive you. He wants to come in and bring abundant life to you. And he wants to come and he wants to help you pay your bills. He wants to help you to put food on the table, clothes on your back. He wants to be able to, get, to, to put a roof over your head and a nice set of wheels to drive around in. And then all of these other things that uh, we might consider will fit into financial prosperity. That somehow, there's somehow, let me say it again, there is somehow a religious kind of a thing that the pious thing where Christians say, oh, you know, we don't really want to be rich. But why not? <laughs> I remember listening to, to um, Kenneth and Gloria Copeland, who entered this in a big way. And Glory gets up and she says, she says, I have been poor. And she says, and now I'm rich. She says, rich is better. <laughs> rich is better. It's better. Now, of course, uh, religion told us the poor is better. But religion is of the devil. Religion is the devil's way of ruining people's lives. Look around the world. What's going on? Most conflicts that are going on right now, religion is behind it. So, well, aren't you, know, aren't you guys religious? No. No. We're not into religion. We're into relationship. into relationship. People claim to, you know, to be religious or to claim supposedly to have a relationship and go, go around and blow themselves up, blow up other people, kill babies, behave people, and then they claim to, to, to have heard from God are nuts. You can't get any more nuts than that. We went off somewhere. I'm trying to come back again. <laughs> so that's right. So, so it says that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles 
in Christ Jesus. So the blessing of Abraham won't come on the Gentiles outside of Christ Jesus, only in Christ Jesus. That's why the Bible says, if any man is in Christ, uh, meaning if any man is born again in Christ, he is a new creation. We are made brand new on the inside. And there's multiple things that are going on from that moment forward. But one of the things that are going on is that Jesus comes into our lives. He wants to help us to pay our bills. You can't get any more simple than that. It's to come and help us pay our bills. Come and help us to, to get us out of debt. Come and help us to, to, help us to do what, what should be normal. Do you know the curse of the Lord spoken about here? If we, if we had time, we were going to Deuteronomy chapter 28 from verses 15 through to verse 68. It's a long portion of scripture. And we wanted to kind of depress ourselves a little bit and read the curse of the Lord. I tell you, it starts heavy and it gets heavier and heavier and heavier and it's all bad. It's all bad. The first 14 verses of Deuteronomy 28 speaks of the blessing. That's the happy reading, okay? The other stuff is all the unhappy reading. But the good news is that if we give our life to Jesus and follow him, then the latter part of verse of Deuteronomy 28 doesn't apply to us because we have been redeemed from that. We've been brought back from all of that mess. And that's what that speaks about here. And so what that's telling us here is that if we were to examine these, uh, these uh, uh, 50 odd verses there that speak about the curse and uh, throw them into a pot and boil it all down and reduce it right down to the very essence of it, what we would be left always three things. The curse of the Lord can be reduced down to three main areas. Sickness and disease. Poverty and spiritual death. That's what we'd end up with. All right, that's the very summary of these 15 verses, uh, 50 odd verses that we have in, in Deuteronomy from verse 15 onwards. And so it tells us that Jesus has redeemed us from sickness and disease. He's redeemed us from, from poverty. And he's redeemed us from spiritual death. What is spiritual death? Well, spiritual death is ultimate separation from God. Then when people die physically on this earth and enter into eternity, we've said this before, but when you jump over the other side, the road forks. One road leads up and the other one leads down. Up is heaven and down is hell. And when we receive Jesus in this life, and follow him and serve him and everything else, then Jesus says, when you get to the other side, for you it's up. All right. <laughs> for you, it's up. And uh, that's why we're telling as many people as what we can, say, receive Jesus. Go up. Go up. So spiritual death applies to those that go down. Spiritual death, then, is not just dying uh, on, as we understand dying, when people just, you know, pass away. Isn't that such a nice word? We just, it's called euphemism. We just take a, a bad situation, we put a nice word on it. Somebody passed away. But the reality is they came to the other side 
and uh, suddenly they realize I'm actually still alive. All that's died is my body. I'm still alive. And oh, there's a, a, road in the, a fork in the road. And of course, there's no decision making when you get to that point. You've got to make your decision in this life. Praise God. So Jesus died on the cross. He redeemed us from the threefold effects of the curse. So what he did was he took upon himself our sins so that we could be forgiven. Why was he so used and abused and so beat up? His judgment being laid on him. The judgment that was meant to be for all of us was laid on Jesus. It's all part of God's plan. If anybody has seen the movie, The Passion of the Christ, it's just like phenomenal, just depicting what exactly took place when they caught Jesus and put him through various trials and then condemned him on false charges and then started to, you know, mock him and beat him and, uh, and kick him around and, uh, and, and, and finally hang him on the cross and, and finally to the time that he died. Bible tells us when he died, he was on the other side. And the Bible tells us that his soul went right into hell. Why did he go there? Well, we were destined to go there, but he went there on our behalf so that we don't have to go there anymore. All right. Um, and, uh, and so our sins were laid on him so that we could be forgiven. Friends, we never earn salvation. You can't work hard enough to earn your way into heaven. You can only receive it as a free gift. By grace are you saved through faith, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 tells us. Uh, and and so, uh, so he took our sins upon himself. Then he took upon himself uh, our sicknesses and our diseases so that we could be healed. Um, healing, and I mean divine healing, um, bodily healing is well established. Uh, it's a well-established doctrine in the body of Christ today. You know, there was a time when only Pentecostals believed in healing, um, but now most denominations would somehow believe that God still heals today. Um, in fact, uh, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but you know, there has been a revival in the area of salvation, revivals, history in the last few decades, uh, last few centuries actually, look back. And uh, you know when Martin Luther came on the scene and he had the revelation that the just shall live by faith. From that moment forward, he began to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. The people get saved by faith, not by works. And from that time forward, people have been getting saved. And then there's what we call revivals, and people get saved. So there's been re revivals in the area of salvation. Then around the turn of the previous century, around 1906, there was a revival that took place in Los Angeles in a, in a street called Azusa Street. Anybody that's done any study on revivals will always end up somewhere in or around or near Azusa. We call it Azusa Street Revival, where the Spirit of God was poured out and people got filled with the Holy Spirit. They were born again, but now they got filled with the Holy Spirit. Now they received the power, and miracles started to take place. Uh, uh, healings took place, bodily healings. You know, when religion told us that, that uh, miracles have passed away, 
Suddenly miracles are happening and they realize that religion had lied to us that the word is actually true, that miracles are still happening today. And, uh, and ever since that time, uh, healing is a well-established doctrine in the body of Christ across the board. I mean, it requires still a bit of tweaking here and there, but you know, you're going into most denominations that there belief that there's a belief that God still performs miracles today. So we've had revival in the area of salvation. We've had revival in the area of, of healing from sickness and disease. But what we haven't had yet is a revival, a full revival in the area of prosperity. Why half the church world still, is still over there in the poverty department rather than want to move into the prosperity department? You know, if you're against healing, it'll be very hard for you to get healed. If doctrinally, mentally, you think that that's not long for today, you'll have a great, a hard time getting healed. And if you mind, you're for poverty, it'll be very hard for God to be able to prosper you. Because God's trying to take you this way, you're going that way. I was having a little look at the whole Azusa Street revival. I studied that many years ago and got real excited over it, and, uh, and, uh, and, and you know, so we should. Azusa Street, uh, uh, there was a gentleman by the name of William Parham. Uh, he was an African-American preacher. means he is black. Um, he is a man of God. He got filled with the Holy Spirit in Kansas City, and he had the call of God in his life. So he went down to Los Angeles. Uh, he went into Azusa Street, and he, he found himself an old, disused horse stable. Uh, back then, you know, before they had cars, they had horses. So he found this place. group of people, they started to clean the place out. They wrecked together some wooden boxes and turned it into a lectern, and then they started to have meetings. And as they started to have meetings, suddenly the Spirit of God was poured out. And people got filled with the Holy Spirit, which was a kind of a truth that had been lost almost since the days of Pentecost and the first, first one or two generations. Hardly anybody got filled with the Holy Spirit. And God restored a truth to the body of Christ. And I was just reading here. Azusa Street uh, Revival was a historic Pentecostal revival meeting that took place in Los Angeles, California. And it is the origin of the Pentecostal movement. You know, today we've got a whole denomination, several of them, but one main one is the Assemblies of God churches uh, uh, all sprung out of Azusa Street Revival. Um, it was led by William Seymour, uh, did I say Parham before, Seymour, uh, an African-American preacher. It began with a meeting on April the 9th in 1906 and continued roughly until 1915. So there's about a nine-year revival going on. Um, the revival was characterized by ecstatic spiritual experiences, accompanied by miracles, dramatic worship services, speaking in tongues, and interracial mingling. Interracial mingling. You know, when, 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 when people come to Jesus and Jesus gets in them, then racism goes out. And if people are filled with racism, they don't have Jesus in them. Because when Jesus comes in, racism goes out. The participants were criticized by the secular media and Christian theologians for behaviors considered to be outrageous and unorthodox, especially at the time. It's just all too much for the religious people. <laughs> you don't think this is funny? I think this is really funny. 
He says, today, the revival is considered by historians to be the primary catalyst for the spread of Pentecostalism in the 20th century. Look, it's not about Pentecostal or Anglican or Catholic or Methodist or Presbyterian or Church of Christ or all of these other, all of these other things. It's about Jesus and it's about the Holy Spirit. Alright, that's what it's all about. Never mind what's written out on the front door, up on the, on the stipple of the church. Never mind what's written up there. It's about Jesus building the church. And the gates of hell do not prevail against it. That Jesus is in the church. He's the primary focus. The people don't come to ease their conscience, but they come to worship Jesus and to serve Jesus. And to get filled with the Holy Spirit. Praise God. So there you are. So he took our diseases upon himself so that we could be healed. I said all of that to say this. And then number three, he took our poverty upon himself that we might be made rich. He took our poverty upon himself sacrificially so we could experience abundance just want to read to you a few verses of scripture there that kind of bear all of that out in fact before i do that let me just read some definitions on the word abundance we're still in john chapter 10 verse 10 okay we're still there some of you thought we've already moved on we haven't we're still in john chapter 10 verse 10 where Jesus has come, that we might have life, eternal life, and that we might have abundance. So the word abundance means more than sufficient. So if you say we don't want any more than what we need, you're unscriptural. Because Jesus wants you to have more than sufficient. And see, here's why. The blessing of Abraham wasn't just for Abraham, but to be a blessing to others. When you get to the place where your own bills are paid and you've got more than sufficient, you, you're stepping into the blessing of Abraham where you can disperse to other people. Where you can, where you can get involved in the, in the extension and, and the strengthening of God's kingdom in the earth. When a special offering is received to, for a building fund or for a missionary uh, fundraising or what have you, you, you can get involved because this is, <laughs> I, I got overflow. It means let it be over and above. Let us see, it means out of measure. One, one translator there speaks of beyond measure. It's not just portioned out and little doled out, you know, but it's, it's profusely abounds. Let it be special advantage. I like that, I thought. If I were to go to a job interview and I got a special advantage over all the others, I wouldn't turn that down. Oh, that's got to be a good thing. That God puts you ahead of the pile. God says, I'll make you the head and not the tail. You'll be above only and not beneath. But if you're clinging to beneath and you just want to be down all the time, then you know it's your choice. But, but, but God says, I want to elevate you. I want to bring you to a level of prosperity so you can get involved in much bigger things rather than just scratching together a living for yourself. I want to take you beyond. 
Letter E, it speaks there of exceptional in the sense of being more than expected. More than expected. Ephesians chapter 3, that's not in your outline, but it's one of Paul's prayers. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, and 21. It tells us that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we might ask or think according to the power that works within us. Is it verse 20, verse 21? 20. Verse 20 and verse 21. So uh, a while ago, we were in a prayer meeting, and I kind of had a revelation. You know, we talk about raising our expectation. So, so, you know, it's a good thing to raise our expectation, but God's able to exceed our expectation. So we started to pray and we thank you, Lord God, that, uh, Lord, that we have an expectation that you will exceed our expectation. Lord, we have an expectation that you'll go beyond our expectation. He's certainly able to do so. Some of think, well, how far can I stretch with my expectation? God's able to top that. Jesus already paid for it. And finally, let F beyond the norm. What's the norm? What's the norm? You know, depending on what culture that you're in, what country that you're in, there's a certain norm. God wants to take you beyond the norm. God wants to take you into the upper levels rather than the lower levels. We talk about socioeconomic uh, areas, socioeconomic levels and different things. God says, uh, when Jesus comes into your life, he wants to take you up, beyond. All right? Psalm 65, verse 11 the psalmist said, he says, Lord, you crown the year with your goodness and your paths drip with abundance. Drip with what? Drip with abundance. Drip with poverty? No. Drip with abundance. God wants to take you into abundance. God wants to take you to the place where the blessings will chase you down. You know, Psalm 23 says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Just goodness and mercy is always trying to bounce on me and to bring blessing and good things. And, uh, you know, people sometimes chase money, but when money starts chasing you, that's better. I tell you, that is really cool. Your money starts hunting you down. Where do you live? <laughs> I had a call. In fact, we had a call here from uh, somebody that works at the city council our city council here, and wanted to get in touch with me. And so I received an email saying that so-and-so wants to speak to you about a development, something, something, that you've done some years ago, and I'm immediately thinking, oh, I wonder what's, <laughs> what's wrong, you know, like, like uh, so anyway, it's amazing how sometimes the mind is trained to just default to the bad rather than to the good, so anyway, long story short, uh, I know this man, the man knows me, uh, he's going back through some historical records in the council, there's some money sitting in an account, and it was in the name of a company that Vanessa and I uh, have a company that's established, and so they, they couldn't find us. But he went a step further, and he find out, found out who the company directors were, and up comes my name. He says, I know this man. So he rings here and says, look, he says, we've got some money, here, some money here for you. We need to repay you for something that you're in a development that you've done. This money's been sitting there for some years now, and we, we, we just need you to sign here, and we're going to send you the money. 
So <laughs> it's not like an outrageous amount, but have you know that every little bit helps? You know, if we establish the value of one dollar, then a million, a million is not going to be a problem for us. So every dollar counts. All right. So anyway, so I'll bring up my big crayon sign, send it away. <laughs> so I'm just expecting the money to turn up. Surely goodness and surely mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The blessing of Abraham wants to come on you. Study the life of Abraham and see if you see any poverty anywhere. It's just not there. The man just increased. He became wealthy. He became more and more powerful. God says, I will make your name great. So uh, it says, your paths drip with abundance. Deuteronomy 28 verse 11. The Lord will make you abound in prosperity. In the offspring of your body, and in the offspring of your beast, and in the produce of your ground. How many of you have got uh, vegetables in your backyard or some fruit or something that you produce more than what your neighbor is able to produce? On less ground, you're able to do more. Have you got a beast in your backyard? <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. I've been thinking about getting some little beast that will lay me some eggs. I'm just not quite sure where to put them. But uh, anyway, that's another subject altogether. It says, uh, and you'll, in verse 12, the Lord will open to you his good storehouse, the heavens, to give rain to your land in its season and to bless the work of your hand. And you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. You shall not borrow. You know, there's no, it's not a sin to borrow. It's not wrong to borrow, but it's better when believers get to the place where they don't have to borrow, the people come to them rather than us having to go to the bank and fill out application forms. Can you give us this? Can you give us that? God says, you will lend to many nations, but you will not borrow. The Psalm 66 verse 12, it, it says that then you put a leader over us. We went through fire and flood, but you brought us out to, out to a place of great abundance. Here is the psalmist recalling how they were in Egypt, how they were in slavery. They had a hard time coming out, but God put a leader over them by the name of Moses who led him out. It's going to take him on into the promised land because they fluffed around in the wilderness for 40 years, going around and around and around. And God says, I'm going to take you into the promised land. It's a land that flows with milk and honey. There's no poverty in that land. God says, I'll give, you, I'll give you houses that you have not built. I will give you vineyards that you have not planted. He says, out of those hills, you'll be able to dig copper, and there'll be gold, and there'll, it'll just be a, a land that flows with milk and honey. There's brooks, there's streams. You know, back in the wilderness, uh, back in Egypt, they had to water the land by standing on pumps to draw the water up out of the ground. God says over here, water's just going to run down the hill. It'll just be much easier. You know, there's like a picture there that uh, people in the world many times are on the treadmill of having to work uh, three, four jobs and overtime and miss Sunday services and all of these things just to make, make ends meet and make a living. But over here, when Jesus comes into our lives and we start following him, then all of that stuff starts to follow us. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. 
You don't have to get on that treadmill. Sure, you have to work. And in fact, right here, is it in verse 12 of Deuteronomy 28, he says, he will bless the work of your hand. Because people don't work, God's got nothing to bless. So everybody working, putting your hands to something, God's able to bless the work of your hand. So he says, you brought us out to a place of great abundance. The King James Version says, you brought us out into a wealthy place. A wealthy place. You know, Egypt was doing all right, I suppose, when the Jews were there, and of course they had them as slaves, but still they had to get water out of the ground by treadmills, because um, a lot of it was just so, uh, so dry and, 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 and so messy. But you know, when, uh, when, when they left, God says, before you go, you're going to slaughter the Passover lamb, eat, and then get dressed and, get dressed and then leave. Um, but before you go, he says, go to your neighbor and borrow some things. Borrow silver, borrow gold, borrow sp- uh, precious stones and jewels and nice things, and then leave the next day. <laughs> okay. Well, actually, they never had any intentions. God never had any intentions that Egypt be repaid. Actually, they worked for slaves for 400 years, and in one night, God repaid them. When they borrowed stuff from their neighbor, that was all of their wages of all of their generations that had worked in slavery. You know, they didn't file grievance forms and uh, do all of this other stuff. God just repaid them in one night. And they came out with silver and with gold, and there was not one feeble person amongst all of their tribe. God blessed them financially, and God healed them. But the Bible says that even their clothes didn't wear out in the wilderness. Sometimes you think like, I'm thinking sometimes like with some of my clothes, it's like, you know, they, they, they don't wear out and suddenly the fashion is over and I've got stuff hanging in my wardrobe that's still good, not worn out. I can't wear it anymore because I put it on on Sunday in the morning for this and says, you can't wear that. <laughs> so when she's away, occasionally you might notice I dress a bit differently when I come. I'll bring up one of my old unworn clothes. <laughs> Do you remember? I, a couple of years ago, I came with my silk shirt that I had well, when I got married or something. Like, still good today. Oh, she threw it away. Did you throw it away? <laughs> For us as Christians, tires should last longer than everybody else's tires. Our cars run further than everybody else's cars. That, that uh, clothes don't wear out, N- nowhere near as fast as everybody else's, because the blessing of God is there. The food doesn't run out. Like sometimes when I start cooking at home, I fill up the fridge and then look, and then there's only Vanessa and I eating and maybe one or two others, and like, there's still a lot of stuff there. Like, it just doesn't seem to run out. It's like... <laughs> God says, I'll bless your basket, I'll bless your storehouse, I'll bless your fridge and your pantry. Deuteronomy 28, I mean, that's modern language, but uh, you'll find it in Deuteronomy 28, first 14 verses. God says, if you obey me and do what my word says, the blessing of God's going to come and visit you and it'll never leave. It'll be your house forever. (laughs) 
So he brought us out to a wealthy place. Deuteronomy. Let me move quickly now. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 10. God's warning them, he says, when you guys have come into the promised land and when you have eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes, which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply, everybody say multiply, and your silver and your gold are multiplied. Everybody say multiply. And all that you have is multiplied. Everybody say multiply. The devil kills, steals, and destroys. But Jesus comes and he multiplies. All right, when everything is multiplied, he says, when your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led you through the great and terrible wilderness in which there were fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty land where there was no water, who brought water for you out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna, um, which your fathers did not know, and he humbled you that he might test you to do you good in the end. Then, I, then you say you have my power and my might, the might of my hand has gained me this wealth. You know, don't look around when you're blessed and say, look how clever I was. Don't say that. That's the very thing he says, don't say that. Do not say that. He says, because uh, on the same verse 18, you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. So in other words, God is the one who has given us power to get wealth. If he gives us power to get wealth and we don't, we don't get wealth, then something is wrong with the system. Something is wrong that if we're not getting into multiplication, there's a blockage somewhere. And sometimes it could be as little as wrong thinking, religious thinking. So as we said before, in the last few decades, there's been revivals in the area of salvation. There's been revivals in the area of healing. We have never seen a full revival in the area of prosperity. We're seeing individuals, we're seeing groups of people just blessed and just wonderful stuff that's happening. But the multitude of people in the body of Christ have not fully cottoned on to that. And one of the reasons is we're not hearing it preached. We only have faith for what we hear preached, because faith comes by hearing. And if people hear poverty, 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 guess what they've got faith for? They've got faith for poverty. So we need to hear prosperity, prosperity, prosperity. Abundance, abundance, abundance. Sometimes people say it's like, oh, wow, that's just all too much. Well, that's what God's talking about. He's talking about too much. More than what you can use yourself beyond so here's the scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. 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 And here goes theologians. Some. Religious people. Oh, Jesus came from heaven. He is very rich in heaven. And he came to the earth and he was made poor. It's missing the point. Because Jesus wasn't made poor until they took everything off him when they captured him. They took everything 
away from him and stripped him right down to his underpants, excuse me. Because Jesus didn't become poor when he left heaven to come to the earth. Take 5,000 people out for lunch and see if you can pay the bill. As a poor person, can't do it. And then a few days later, take 7,000 people out and pay for the lunch bill and see how you get on. Jesus wasn't poor when he was on the earth. He had access to all the funds that he needed in order to get the job done. But he became poor sacrificially when they took everything away from him and even undressed him and stripped him right down. He became poor sacrificially so that we through his poverty might come into a level of abundance that is beyond where the general population, where the general public is because that's what God wants. He wants to elevate us. Praise God. So very quickly now as we wind down. So how can we appropriate everything that Jesus has paid for? I mean, clearly it's, it's paid for. It's paid for. Jesus died on the cross. All our sins were laid on him that we could be forgiven. All our sicknesses were laid on him that we could be healed. All our poverty was laid on him so that we, we could be uh, made, made to prosper. How do we appropriate? The word appropriate means how, how do I get my hands on that? How, how do I, I'm able to receive that? Uh, very simply now, four points. Number one, receive Jesus. You can't have his abundant life without receiving him. It's looking at Jesus from a distance and keeping him on the outside is not going to bring abundant life. Because abundant life only comes when Jesus comes. When Jesus comes in, abundant life comes in. All right, so it's receive Jesus. And uh, here it is in John chapter 1 verse 12. That as many as received him, meaning Jesus, to them get the right to become those who believe in his name. So when Jesus comes in, when we receive him, how do you receive him? By confessing him as Lord of your life. So number one, receive Jesus. Number two, follow Jesus. You can't go your own way once you've given your life to Jesus. He's your Lord. He's my Lord. can't say, Jesus be Lord and I'll carry on doing my own thing. doesn't work. So we follow Jesus. Matthew 16, verse 24, Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Deny himself. Deny his own dreams and ambitions and lay them down at the altar. Some of those need to go anyway and others God may bring back in, in just a modified form. So Pastor Vanessa, was she sharing a couple of weeks ago, was it in Bible college, I forget now, that uh, when, when she got saved and when I got saved, we just had a dream of traveling around the world and just keep going. <laughs> Seeing everything, Experiencing everything, just, just traveling, just had that international thing on, on the go on the inside of us. When we got saved, we laid that on the altar. So, Lord, you want us here in Wellington region? You want us to, to be here? Then we've been here, planted this church. We've been here for 25 years and given up the dream. And in the meantime, God's taken us around the world several times over. See more things than we would have otherwise seen because God said, let me just tweak that dream a little bit and give it back to you. Let him deny himself. Let him deny himself. People say, oh, I'll become a Christian, but I won't give this up. And don't take that away from me. And, and, and don't, don't challenge me in this. Lay it all down. And let Jesus give you back what is of him 
and let him burn the rest. Let him deny himself and take up his cross. Cross. Western society. Not until you get into communist regimes and Muslim regimes. These guys bear a cross over there. I tell you, they, they got a challenge of persecution and stuff going on that just boggles the mind. Take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? So it's possible to gain the whole world, to become like super, super rich, if we were to use that expression, just get everything and still lose your own soul. What a tragedy that would be. The Bible says the blessing of the Lord makes rich, but he adds no sorrow with it. God's able to bring us into a level of prosperity that is beyond and still serve God and still follow Jesus. And then number three, let us see, uh, obey Jesus. You know, Jesus modeled this whole arrangement when he said to his father, he says, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. It's not, it's not what I want. I want something, but, but, but he says, take this cup away from me. He says, I'm not really wanting to do this, but at the end of the day, I'm kind of paraphrasing there. It's not my will, but you will be done. Certain things we might be too excited about, but if it's God's will, then let's embrace it. And God will give us the grace to embrace whatever his will is for our lives and to carry us on that way. And then finally, serve Jesus. Serve Jesus. Laying down our lives means that we serve him. Praise God. Are you serving Jesus? You know, Jesus said, I'm building my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. To serve Jesus means that we are involved in the, in the local church to extend and to the kingdom of God, uh, just extend the kingdom of God in the earth. The Bible speaks of the kingdom of darkness, speaks of the kingdom of light. We diminish that and we increase that. We get on board. We use our gifts, our talents, our time, everything that we can to build the church that Jesus is building and to get involved to do everything we can so we get to the final day when we get to the jumping off point. The Bible says, look up for your redemption draws near. We can look up with anticipation and expectation that Jesus Christ is coming back and he will take us to heaven. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes so for just a moment as we close with a word of prayer. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah, Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that you died on the cross that we could live. We thank you, Lord God, that you took our sicknesses and our diseases on yourself so we could be healed. We thank you, Lord, that you became poor, that we through your poverty might be made rich. We are very grateful, Lord Jesus, very, very grateful. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you've adopted us into your family, that God's our heavenly Father. And you're our Lord and you're our King. You're the soon and coming King. We worship you in this place. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness and for your mercy in our lives. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Father, I pray for a revelation in the area of, uh, Lord, prosperity, where people are saved and people are uh, truly able to, Lord, believe in the area of healing. And, Lord, the people are truly able to believe God for abundance in their lives. 
I pray, God, that these scriptures that we shared here today, that, Lord, there will be an opening of minds and an opening of hearts, that there will be a prying open, Lord, of uh, doors that have previously been shut, where people have been clinging to poverty, that, Lord, they open their lives to God's prosperity. I praise you, and I thank you, Father, that, Lord, that there is a bursting open of the doors, the windows of heaven are opened in Jesus' mighty name. The people no longer struggle to pay their bills. People no longer, Lord, have to work uh, uh, two, three jobs in order to make ends meet. But the blessing of God begins to manifest in people's lives. How many of you would wave your hands and just lay a hold of that right now by faith in Jesus' name? Thank you, Father. Increase. We command increase in the name of Jesus. We command abundance. We command the blessing of God to burst forth into every life of people whose hands are raised up and who are laying a hold of that this morning in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Praise God.